Let's hear God's word now from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. Remember now, your creator, in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them, while the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are not darkened, and the clouds do not return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble, And the strong men bow down when the grinders cease because they are few. And those that look through the windows grow dim when the doors are shut in the streets. And the sound of grinding is low when one rises up at the sound of a bird. And all the daughters of music are brought low. Also they are afraid of height and of terrors in the way. When the almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper is a burden and desire fails. For man goes to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the well. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Amen. We'll end our reading there in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 8. Let's once again ask for God's help in prayer. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we look to you to help us to carry out the exhortation of this passage. May we truly remember our Creator, and Lord, may we remember now before it is too late. We rejoice that we can remember that our creator is also our redeemer. The one who has made us, has rescued us from the bondage, the servitude of sin, has cleansed us from the corruption into which we plunged ourselves, continues to guide and protect and lead us all the way home. And so, Lord, we pray that the memory of these things would sink deeply into our hearts, would shape our lives that how we face the inevitable challenges of life would honor the one who has made us and rescued us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This part of the book of Ecclesiastes, as we've maybe gotten used to with the rest of Ecclesiastes, is pretty blunt. It does not pull very many punches. It says to us, you may be young now, but that is not going to last. Assuming you survive the perils of the world, you will get old, and after you get old, you will die. That is a recurring theme in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's one of the big elements that plays into that refrain that we encountered at the beginning, and that now here at the conclusion of the book we run into again, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. You cannot build a lasting life in this world because you are going to die. Everything is temporary. Everything is fading. Everything is fleeting and vanishing because you will die. Even if the other stuff remains, you won't be here to enjoy it or to experience it. Well, as you remember, Ecclesiastes tells us the problem. It gives us what is wrong with the world. It does a little bit to tell us about why these things are wrong with the world. 
But then it also puts a lot of energy and focus into reminding us or into teaching us how do we navigate this broken, fleeting, vain life in this world. And here is a very important exhortation. This is absolutely critical to life in this world. Remember, remember. Now, let's not skip past that too quickly. It's not just no, it's remember. Because you can learn something, and if somebody asked you a question, you could remember it. The catechism that's called the first catechism begins this way. It asks all the kids, who made you? And the answer is, God made me. Well, that catechism is drawing on this passage when it says that, remember your creator in the days of your youth. But remember is not just know it, not just be able to answer it. Remember it is keep it in mind so that you do something about it so that it changes the way you live. You can see this, for instance, in the book of Exodus, when God remembered the children of Israel. It wasn't that he was ever unaware of their existence, but that the time had come to do something about their affliction. The time had come to free them from oppression. So when God remembers, it's more than, oh yeah, so-and-so exists. It's, I'm going to do something about that. When we remember our creator, that means that it shapes how we live. It shapes how we think about the world. It shapes how we think about ourselves. It shapes how we approach the decisions that need to be made. And you notice that it says, remember now your creator. Now, then he goes on to say, in the days of your youth. Well, for some of us, that ship has already sailed. The days of our youth are gone. But remember now, all the same. Remember now, before even more time has gone by. So if you're sitting here and you're a kid, remember now. This is the time to start remembering this. If you're a teenager, you're a young person, this is the time. If you're an adult, if you're in the prime of life, if you're mature, if you're seasoned, this is the time. Remember now. You're supposed to start young so it becomes a good habit. And you notice how Ecclesiastes puts that. It says, remember now your creator. Here's the reality. A large part of the insanity that we are currently experiencing in the world is due to the fact that people have forgotten. They have suppressed the knowledge that they are creatures, that God has created them, and that God created them the way they are. Now, even when people remember that, there is a problem of sin in the world. But the particularly insane forms of sin that we are encountering all around us are due in no small part to forgetting that God is our creator. In other words, even if we remember that there would be sin, but it would be sin of a different flavor. The insanity in our flavors of sin, in the flavors of sin that are popular and celebrated in our own day, are largely due to forgetting that God created us. So let me say this to all of you, but especially to the young people. You really need to know that you are a creation. 
And that is very important for a number of reasons. Because you're a creation, it means you're not first. It means you're not ultimate. It means you came from somewhere. There is somebody who is bigger. There is somebody who is more important. There is somebody who started you, so to speak. Obviously, you could realize that if you thought about the fact that you have parents. But even beyond them, even before them, there is God and God created you. And that means that you're not ultimate. You don't decide. You don't determine everything. You don't get to declare what is right and what is wrong. That's already been determined. You don't get to say, I will be this or that. That's already been determined. You have been made, and you have been made specifically. That gives you boundaries. There are lines you should not cross because you are a creature. You should remember that God is greater. You should remember that God comes first. You should remember that God is the lawgiver. God determines right and wrong, and God determines who and what you are. But it doesn't just give you boundaries. It also should give you tremendous confidence and thankfulness. God made you. God made you to be who you are. The eternal, the everlasting God created you specifically. He created you to be who you are. He created you for good. You are a special creation of God, worthy of respect. Able to be delighted in. Able to bring pleasure to God's own heart. You don't need to mutilate yourself. You don't need to change yourself on a cellular level. God made you, and that is good. And God is not a creator who forgets. God is not a creator. Like sometimes... You draw a picture or you make somebody out of Play-Doh and then a couple minutes later you've forgotten all about that picture you drew or that little figure you made. God is not like that. God remembers everyone that he has made and so you can look to God. You can talk to him. You can call upon him. He's your creator and that gives you a reason to approach him. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Remember him now. It will be such a blessing and such a help to you and to those around you. But Solomon doesn't just say, remember now. He says, remember before, before darkness. There are difficult days coming. Ecclesiastes has made that clear to us all multiple times as we've worked through it. There will come a time when it's difficult to take pleasure, when even the sun is hard to see. Now, commentators take this in different ways. I think the majority of them will understand that Solomon here is talking about getting older, getting weaker, and then dying. But Solomon describes that process in terms that might be taken from a city that is devastated, that undergoes depopulation for one reason or another, whether that's exile, whether that's famine. You know, even in the U.S., there are some places that are ghost towns where the population decreased and decreased and decreased until the point where nobody lived there anymore. 
And, of course, he also describes it then in terms that are appropriate to the end of things. He's talking about things running down and ending, and some of the language that he uses would even be appropriate for describing the running down and ending of the world itself. And I think all of those things go together because whether it's you as an individual, whether it's the community where you live, whether it's the world as a whole, the end of things is kind of similar. You can see analogies and parallels between the end of a life or the end of a community or the end of the world. So when he's talking about before the light of the sun goes away, well, that could be before your eyes get too weak to see it, before you go blind. That could be before there's such affliction, such hardship, that even the sun brings you no joy. Or that could be before the end of the world when the light of the sun is darkened. There's different possibilities there because all of those endings are similar. But we know that there are difficult days coming. Remember your creator before they hit. You don't want to be trying to establish a relationship with your creator when time has almost completely run out. Now, if that's your situation, by all means, remember your creator now. But how much better would it be to remember your creator before it gets to that point? You know, when we feel young, when we feel healthy, it seems like we've got a long time left. But talk to a grandparent and ask them, has your life been long? They will tell you how quickly the time has gone by. I mean, there are things that seem like they were a long time ago, but also there are people for whom, well, from my point of view, is many years ago. They have vivid memories of that. And it went by quickly. So remember now, before things get that bad. Remember before darkness. Remember before it's too late. But also remember before old age. If you notice in verses 3 through 5, it's talking about, it seems to be describing a household, right? Like there's a whole bustling household with keepers of the gate, with women who are grinding flour, who are grinding up grain to make flour, where they have gardens and all of this other stuff going on, but now it's all diminishing. It's all disappearing. The grinders cease because they're few. That seems to be a description of the encroachments of weakness and sickness with old age. Now, I'm not going to be dogmatic about that. If you want to apply this to a different sort of a situation, that's fine with me. But a lot of people have seen parallels to old age where the keepers of the house tremble and a lot of people will say, well, that's your arms and your hands. You get shaky with age when the strong men, when the muscles that used to be the strongest in your legs and back that carried you, that could bear heavy loads. And now even something as small as a grasshopper can be a burden. The grinders, the word for grinders is related to the word for a mill And your molar teeth, the word for molar teeth comes from that as well. So this could be saying to how your teeth fall out as age goes by and it's harder and harder to grind or to chew your food. Remember before old age. Old age is not for sissies. Sometimes people say it's better than the alternative and I understand that approach. I understand 
that remark, but getting old is really hard. The change from being confident and strong and capable to now being worried to thinking, well, yeah, I don't know if I can make it in there. You know, there's a step up. Well, that's now a big deal. When you're in a walker or using a cane or you've got a wheelchair, one step up, that can be a nightmare to navigate. The Bible understands that. And it says, remember your creator before you get to that point, before you have to think about every tiny little detail just to make it out the door of your house. Remember now. And of course, we know where that winds up. Man goes to his eternal home and the mourners go about the street. Old age has turned into death. And so he reiterates that. Remember, before the silver cord is loosed. And this seems to me to be a highly poetical description of what it's like. There's a silver cord that binds you to life. And that silver cord gets snapped. There's a golden bowl that holds this precious treasure of life. But that gets broken. In your pitcher, in the vessel of your body, you are carrying the water of life, so to speak. But that pitcher is broken. Your life departs. Or another figure is that you have a well and there's a pulley that you use to draw the bucket out of the well. But there comes a time when the pulley breaks. The wheel is broken at the well. You can no longer draw water. You can no longer draw nourishment and sustenance from the things that maintained your life. If we were to change from a poetic analogy to a mechanical analogy, you would say, well, you run out of gas. The car breaks down. Many different things go wrong with it. And then it won't turn on. It ceases to be a functional vehicle. Life wears out. And we need to remember our creator now, before darkness, before age, before death. Now, that central exhortation is very solemn, and hopefully it reaches all of us. Hopefully it reminds us that we are created, that that's a gift, that we should rejoice in it, we should remember the one who made us with thankfulness. Hopefully it also reminds us that this is the nature of life in this world. That's why he comes around again to the conclusion, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. The little empire you built here, It's going to wear out. The sources of your life, what gets you out of bed in the morning, what gives you joy, the days are coming when you won't be able to enjoy that anymore. Now, we understand some people die suddenly. They die in the full enjoyment of life, and they don't run out, so to speak. So those are your options. You could die suddenly and unexpectedly, or you could wear out slowly over time. Sometimes it's hard to know which is worse. Is it worse to have the shock and the surprise or is it worse to experience the disappearance of life in these little tiny increments? But you can feel it leaving. You can feel the end approaching. You can feel the shadows darkening. I'm not entirely sure which one is worse, whether for the person or for the person's loved ones who watch the process, who go through the grief as a result of it. But one way or another, This is coming for all of us. This is coming for you. You may be 
ridiculously healthy and you may have all the supplements and all the special foods and all the things you do, it's still coming for you. So what do we do with that? Well, obviously we need to take on board that exhortation. Remember our creator. Obviously we need to take on board the warning then. Don't set your hopes Don't put all your eggs in the basket of this life. This life is ending. It is not good enough. You need to have an eternal hope. You need to be able to look beyond this creation. You need to be able to look beyond this world, whether this world ends for you with your death or whether this world ends for all of us with the return of Christ. You need to have something on the other side to look forward to. You need to have a clear and solid and biblically grounded hope of eternal life because you belong to Christ, because he is your Lord in life and in death. So there's an exhortation and there's a warning, but there's also some teaching here. Out of several things that we could emphasize, let me notice particularly this one in verse 7. The dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Now, that is a very clear description. What is involved in death? And he's hearkening back to when man was created. You remember that God formed Adam's body of the dust of the ground. In other words, he took dirt and he gave it a shape. And then it says, and God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. When you just had the figure of dust, when you just had that shape, that was not a living human being. That was not a living soul. God needed to do something more. God needed to breathe into the nostrils of that dirt shape the breath of life. So what is death? Well, death is when the spirit or the breath, it's the same word in Hebrew, death is when that breath or spirit leaves the earthly shape. And then what happens? Well, the shape turns back into dust eventually. And what happens to the spirit? The spirit returns to God who gave it. Now, there's a couple of things to draw out there by way of teaching. One is life is a gift. We kind of already saw that it's a good thing that God created us, but God gave the spirit And God gave you a distinctively human life. You have a nobler spirit. God said, let the waters swarm with fish. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. God said, let the earth bring forth every living thing. But with one kind of creature, God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. When I say that we have a nobler spirit than the animals, I don't necessarily mean that we're better behaved because that's not always true. I mean that our spirit has a nobler origin, that God marked human beings made in his image as special by the very detailed care that went into the process of making them, by the fact that God directly gave the breath of life to that figure of Adam. Humans are special. As Christ said, you are of more value than many sparrows. And that should factor into how we treat ourselves That should factor into how we treat other people. That should factor into how we prioritize animals versus people. People are special. People are more important. Life is a gift. 
And life is a gift that we should receive with gratitude. But then we should also understand what happens when we die. When a human being dies, the body and the spirit go, both go back to their source. Where was the raw material of Adam's body drawn from? It was drawn from the earth. Where does it go back? Back into the earth. Dust thou art, and to dust thou shalt return, God said to Adam. But the spirit returns to God who gave it. Now, at this point, Ecclesiastes doesn't tell us what God does with that spirit. We need to read other parts of the Bible to find that out. But every spirit returns to God. Every spirit stands before the judgment seat of Christ. And at the resurrection, everyone receives in their body according to what they have done. But even for those whose judgment, shall we say, does not go well, it does show you something. It shows you that God took them seriously, that God cared for them, that God cared for that person he had made enough to take their spirit back to himself and to interact with it, regardless of what happens later. Every time a person dies, it is a serious, it is a solemn thing, and we can be sure that God was there. We can be sure that God was active we can be sure that God did what was right with that person. Now, in the central exhortation of our passage, that call to remember, of course, Ecclesiastes calls upon us to remember our Creator. But later passages of Scripture call upon us to remember something even more wonderful. We're called upon to remember our Redeemer. And as we come to observe the Lord's Supper this morning, we are reminded, of course, that the Lord Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. So when we break the bread, when we partake of the cup, we are remembering that a true body, a physical body just like ours, susceptible to pain, susceptible to injury, susceptible even to death. We are remembering that our Lord Jesus Christ suffered and bled and died in our place. He suffered for us so that the suffering of wrath would not fall upon us. So that when it comes to our turn to stand before God's judgment seat, we can be confident. The spirit returns to God who gave it and the spirit returns with joy, with confidence to a loving father who has forgiven all our sins. Remember your creator. Remember also your redeemer. Remember the one who washes away your sins. Remember the one who gives you eternal life. Remember the one who gives you himself, including his body, and his blood to be your true meat and drink unto everlasting life. As you come to the Lord's table this morning, let me plead with you to lay aside other concerns for a few moments and to remember what the Lord Jesus has done to rescue you from your sins, to deliver you from wrath and curse, to change your death from a thing to be feared into a thing to be anticipated as the entrance into everlasting life to sustain and uphold and nourish you all the way till he welcomes you to your everlasting home. For some people, the idea of that eternal home is a terror. 
but not for us. For us, it's a welcome anticipation to be forever with the Lord.